Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching with our mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. Uh, of course, you'll know. Welcome to the Fearless and Devotion podcast. I'm currently in New Zealand, the home of fine meats and good food, but I don't think there's be anything as good as the fat boy in Wrexham. What do you think, Tim? I, I'd struggle to disagree, if I'm honest. You know, the good old boar does the good old food and, yeah, keep supporting local businesses because they are excellent at what they do and find value for money it is. Good spiel, good spiel. Um yeah. So due to the time difference, I didn't get to see much of the game. Um, I saw little bits. I don't think I saw the right bits. Tim, what were the right bits of that game? This is the problem. I have no idea because none of us have seen it because of the international UK blackout thing. So I haven't seen it either. So it was only international um, viewers that could see it. So from what I have seen, various clips and stuff, um, you know, really good finishes from, from Mullin. He obviously took the match ball home with him. He's claiming it. There's, it looks like there's a little nick of a defender. But the fact he spins and managed to get the shot on target anyway, claiming it, I can't see any reason why he shouldn't. But yeah, I mean, is it on I'm, target? Well, I don't, from, from the angle, from the angle that the, the clip that I've seen from like Alex putting out Jebo, a few of the, the the bloggers have chucked some out. Um, it looks like it's on target, but it's difficult to say from that angle. But then somebody else has said from another angle, it looks like it's going wide, but then, you know, Palmer's on hand to stick it into an empty net if it does bounce that way. So it doesn't really matter, does it? At the end of the day, um, let's not gloss over the fact we've made life difficult for ourselves. Uh, and Mullin said, you know, if you score three goals in any game, that should be enough to win it. So to, to, to have to sneak one at the very death I mean, it's great because it shows what we're made of and the team will go to the very end. Um, but we just we just kind of got ourselves into a little, little bit of a pickle and I know there's been a lot of disruption with the defence. Uh, you know, I could not believe it when I saw Jordan Tunnicliffe on the bench. That was mental. So I don't know if that's part yeah. of playing mind games with, with the lights and lights counting and stuff. Obviously, he's clearly back ahead of schedule. Otherwise, he wouldn't... I'm not sure if he wanted to risk him, but then o- O'Connell's come off, I think, with... Was it an ankle knock or I can't remember or hamstring mate? I can't remember, but it was just precautionary to, to take him off uh, in that game. But we, we were just fortunate yeah. that we had 25th back. And yeah, I mean, I'm, kind of, I'm interested in the sense that we seem to be scapegoating players all of a sudden, which I don't like. And I don't want to sound um, like facetious or ironic or anything. Because I, I dare say we've all done it. I dare say I've done it. I try my best not to do it because it doesn't really benefit anybody, let alone the players, especially when they're doing so well. But before we get mm. to the Palmer, the Palmer, not Palmer situation, it's not even a situation. Let's come to Howard because it's been a bone of contention, right? I've been pro Howard yeah. to come in. He's made a fair few clean sheets, et cetera, et cetera. Against Woking, it was really weird because it was such a... It was such an odd atmosphere. It was very fidgety. We, we obviously weren't getting our own way, which is what we've got used to at home. And 
he was kicking the ball out and it wasn't really working for for, for the majority of the time. Lest we forget, it did work for, for Dolby's goal because essentially it's almost like an assist for that goal, if, if we're honest. Um, so you're talking about long, long kicks out? Yeah, I just I said there, there was a couple of times he was booting it and they weren't reaching any targets. But that's not solely down to him. There was, you know, people, there was no movement. That was the least movement I've seen from, from a, a Rexon team in the park in a long time. So I'm not sure how he can be blamed for that. So I just felt there was a bit of, a bit of scapegoating going on. But then I've seen one of the goals that we conceded yesterday, which I think is the Tony Cliff own goal that comes off his chest. And again, it's, it's hard to say from the angle, but the angle doesn't, isn't complimentary of Howard's attempts to keep it out of the net. It kind of almost goes under him. It seems to take an age to get to it. Now, I suppose million-dollar question is, do you stick or twist, given that Leighton is back and fit, perform well at Sheffield United in the Cup? What do you think? Um, I, I think we got away with it on Saturday. And the best thing, the best time to, to rectify any problems is after you've just got away with it because you don't want to start rectifying them after, after you haven't got away with it. Now, I think it would be an incredibly tough call to, to ditch Howard, and I can't see it happening. Um, I think when you've kept that level of clean sheets, yeah. uh, it's, you, you, know, you can't then swap the keeper and think that, that all of a sudden these goals you're, you're, you're conceding will stop. I do think that Leighton's a great shot stopper. I do think he commands his area a little bit better. Howard, and if you're asking me who do I think is the better keeper, I would probably say I would probably say Leighton. But Howard's got into a, you know got had had the number one all, all season, um, and Leighton is coming back from a serious injury. So I think it would be a massive call to swap him round now. I don't think it would do the dressing room much good. So I would yeah. I would suggest that Howard would would, would stay yeah. stay in. Um, are there problems anywhere else? I mean, how how, how impressed have you been with O'Connell? Um, and do you see Tony Clough coming back in? Uh, O'Connell, all right. Probably not not like the bells and whistles kind of defender we thought we were, we were maybe getting. It's take, it takes some players time to adjust. Just ask Tom O'Connor. took him a long time to adjust. And when he has adjusted, he's been brilliant. And then typically... When he's yeah. in the bank, he gets injured. So I don't know. I I honestly think if Tunnicliffe is fit, he probably starts on Tuesday. Probably starts, and then is <coughs> instead of Max or instead of O'Connell. I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, they're interchangeable ultimately, but it is a tough one. I mean. He's been like a sort of a solid seven out of ten, I think, since he's been with us. You know, but when you when you yeah. put him inside the lights, and he can pass, can't he? He can bring the ball yeah. out. And it, it's unfair, isn't it, to say, well, you know, you, you look at Hayden, who's clearly a nine out of ten. Look at Tomcliff, probably eight and a half, nine out of ten since he's been in the squad. So, yeah, yeah. it's tough on O'Connell, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 it is it is difficult, and I just I just feel that. You know, Lainton needs needs a settled defence in front of him, and he's not had that now for for a month or so. And maybe that's had. I mean, effect. sorry, Lainton or Howard? Well, Howard hasn't had the settled defence, has he? But 
I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Leighton is a better goalkeeper, but yeah, I don't know. I just something about my mate John said to me t- today. He said he doesn't see Howard being dropped because he's Parky signing, and that comes into play. I'm not sure if it does or not because it would be selected on form, wouldn't it? But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure. I think. I'm not sure about that, I'll be honest, because Phil Parkinson needs to get this team out in the division and he will use every asset he has available to do that. Coming back to the sort of Tunnicliffe thing, I think you've got to get back to the defence that kept so many clean sheets a couple of months ago and Tunnicliffe was part of that. So you need to get slowly, slowly start moving back to that when they're fit. So I would say Howard would start, Toes would start, Tunnicliffe, and I'd probably say O'Connell if fit, because you do need someone who can bring the ball out and and pass, especially especially at home where, where you're going to have a lot of possession. So that's what I would, uh, what's what I would do. Right, yeah. Tim, without further ado, we have a guest today, someone who, uh, well, he should have introduced the fat ball, to be honest. We should have, yeah. I hope they've got him to do that. Now, Now I, um, I, I wasn't on this one just because I've been away, and Tim, I don't think you, you were either, so this will be a complete surprise to, to both of us too. Take it away, Don Burge. So on this week's podcast, we're delighted to have a man who has a unique insight into Wrexham's recent history. Originally hailing from Kilmarnock, this travel firm owner's association with the club started as a sponsor in the mid-2000s. His connections grew over the years and in summer 2012, he was appointed as the club's interim chief executive under the Wrexham Supporters Trust before he took on the role permanently in May 2013. During his time at the helm, there were some memorable occasions, including that FA Trophy win against Grimsby and the club coming agonisingly close to promotion, ultimately losing to Newport at Wembley. He oversaw the appointment of Kevin Wilkin following Andy Morell's departure in 2014 and later that of Gary Mills before he stepped down in October 2016. He's still flying high in the travel industry and now has a successful chain of restaurants and his club love for the club very much remains. I'm talking, of course, about Mr. Don Bircham. Don, welcome to the podcast. Uh, good morning. What are you doing? How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, very good. Very good. So to start off proceedings, we have some, well, we present them as fun facts, a few questions about yourself. I should mention before we get started that these are from Intel gleaned by uh, Andy Gilpin. So any <laughs> any issues with them, direct them to him. Um, so, Don, I suspect this one's tongue-in-cheek. Is it right that you're a staunch Air United fan? <laughs> uh, well, there's only one team in Ayrshire. Well, there's two teams in Ayrshire now. There's Kilmarnock and Darville, of course, after that magnificent victory over Aberdeen. But, uh, no, Kelly till I die. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I suspected as much. Um, the second one, I think I might know where this one's going. Have you ever met Martin Buchan? Well, um, yeah, I talked to Andy about this one. You know, sometimes we get we get into the uh, into some of the challenging and difficult uh, uh, subjects when we when we come on to these podcasts. Um, and you know, there was lots of fun and lots of great experiences in my time uh, in, when I was involved at the football club. And I was talking to Andy about this one. I w- we went down every year to the um, to the national league. Uh, dinner and conference so down to Cardiff and a full day of conference and a very nice evening with guest speakers and some nice food and nice wine and so on so uh, 
understandably, my wife got bored with the football talk at the table and and went off to bed. And so I was sat at the bar having a stood at the bar having a a final dram before retiring. And I happened to see Martin Bucking out the corner of my, and I thought, well, I'd I'd like I'd like to say hello to Martin, but you you, you know that kind of I don't want to interrupt him, and he's he's chatting to a few friends. But I thought I can't miss the opportunity, so I kind of pretend I'm heading to the toilet as you do in these circumstances. And um, as I pass him, uh, I, I put out my hand and I say, "Martin, sorry to interrupt, but I couldn't miss the opportunity uh, to shake your hand." I should say for our younger listeners, of course, who may not know that Martin Buckin was a cultured centre half for Aberdeen. Manchester United, Scotland. I think he played in two World Cups, Martin, 74 and 78, when we used to uh, we used to qualify for World Cups, of course. Um, <laughs> so the funny bit of it was, so I said, hello, Martin, how are you doing? He said, oh, I detect your accent. Where are you from? I said, Kilmarnock. Um, so he starts to have a chat and he says, well, are you going to buy me a drink or not? So uh, I thought, well, absolutely. So up to the bar, buys around of drinks, and we sit down and we're having a chat. So as my confidence grew, uh, I said, Martin, I saw you play in your debut for Scotland, I think 1972-73 against Portugal. I was 10 years of age, and my father took me to Hamden for the very first time. And I've never, ever forgot that experience, arriving at Hamden as a wee boy, and the, the lights, and the, the horses, and the alcohol and the smells and, and the old rickety stadium that, that Hamden was at that time and going up, get up the stairs, up and up and up and up and up. And then you look down in that, that green turf and Hamden Park in those days, where the crowds were. I mean, in 1970, I think they had the world record, 134,000 for um, Celtic and Leeds in the European Cup semi-final. So massive crowd. And it was Scotland versus Portugal. So I said to Martin, um, yeah, I saw you in your debut for Scotland. He said, that's right. He said, I think I come on the second half. I said, and, and you played on the same turf as the great Eusebio. I said, because I remember my father saying to me, son, uh, this is one of the greatest footballers that ever lived. Um, I, and he's at the end of his career, but you're a, you're a lucky boy to see him. So the funny bit was, so I said to Martin, of course, you, you, you graced the pitch along with the great Eusebio. And he said, no, I think you've got that wrong. He said, I don't, I don't think I ever played with Eusebio on the same pitch. I said, so I'm sat there thinking, well, it's not really for me to question this man. He must have known if he played with Eusebio. But anyway, as the evening grew on and, and I, I thought, I'm absolutely convinced of this. So uh, I thought, I've got to nip upstairs and get on the laptop. So nips up, knocks on the door. The wife's, the wife's not best, please. I'm digging out the laptop. She said, what you, what you doing? I said, I'm trying to work out Eusebio and Martin Buckin played in the same game. So, of course, <laughs> she's, she's not best, please. She doesn't know who either Martin Buckin or Eusebio is. Um, anyway, I was right and went back downstairs to confirm to Martin Buckingham <laughs> that he had actually played on the same grass as Eusebio. I say that, I think actually Eusebio came off at the end of the first half and Martin came on for the second half, so there you go. There, there must have been quite a, a, 
quite a revelation to him then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He was, he was half <laughs> cut by that time, to be honest. So whether he still remembers, I don't know. I was going to say that, that would, wouldn't be something you'd forget. Um, so our next question is, how do you best celebrate an LDV Vans Trophy win? Well, the LDV Vans Trophy was was a landmark for me. The club, I had got to know Dennis very well um, through sponsoring the kit. So my first brand was Just Go Travel. And um, so we were shirt sponsors and times were pretty dire at the club financially in those days. And Dennis was very clever at um, getting me involved. Dennis, uh, we'll come on to Dennis, but Dennis was a great man. Dennis should have been, he was a great manager, but Dennis should have been a director of football or a general manager or a chief executive of a football club. Um, and uh, at the club, at the time, the club had no money. So Dennis was very clever at getting me up to the race course. Um, and one occasion he, he had me up there and we talked about the LDV and I had organised all the buses to the LDV. And he said, would you like to come to the the, the party after the after the game? Uh, I said, I'd love to, Dennis. That's very kind. He said, well, that's good because you're paying for it. So I... I organised all the coaches from the race course and Mould and Oswestry and surrounding areas uh, down. Uh, and that was yeah, a huge, huge responsibility. Uh, I often stay clear of any kind of football trips because the consequences of getting them wrong are fairly dire. Um, so there was huge pressure on me to get that right. And I can remember I sent a team down to Cardiff and I stayed at the race course. And we got those, uh, I went round there that morning. And, you know, when you turn the corner into the car park before those bloody flats were built, um, and you think, shit, if these buses are not here, uh, you know, I'll have to leave town. Um, but anyway, I have to say it all went well. And all the buses arrived, and we loaded everybody onto the buses. And we got them all down to Cardiff, and... Uh, and we got to the game. And of course, it was a fantastic celebration, a fantastic result when when the club was at its lowest ebb financially. Um, to have won that trophy was was quite incredible. So I think I think it was a sense of absolute relief that had got everybody there, everybody to their hotels, everybody sorted. We had won the game. I went, I hadn't had a drink. Well, that's not quite true. Uh, Roy from Manera Roof Trusses uh, had a box. I don't think Roy watched the game at all. Roy sat in his box, which was directly behind my seat. So every time I went to the loo, Roy poured me a whiskey. So um, by the time we got back to the hotel, I was well oiled. And then, of course, proceeded to the the party. Um, now, I, I don't know if this is true, but I'm led to believe that I had Darren Ferguson in a headlock, and you don't really ever want to have Darren <laughs> Ferguson in a headlock under any circumstances. Uh, but I think it was Rooster that told me that the next day. And the wife has confirmed that I think it was one of my worst states. I think I was a manhandled to bed and maybe ended up in the bath. But, yeah, it goes down as one of the great days <laughs> in, our, in our great history. <laughs> Well, from what we've heard on this uh, podcast, Darren Ferguson isn't necessarily someone you want to get in a, a scrape with. So it sounded like you came out fairly all right out of that. <laughs> yeah, he must have been one of his better moods, uh, Darren, because 
it's been noted in your podcast that yeah, he's it's what we would say up the road, a wee bit crabbit, you know. <laughs> so my next uh, poser for you is who is the better keeper, Don Bircham or Gordon Banks? Well, you're you're priming me really well here. Um, this was another <laughs> this was another magical moment. In, in you know, I as I say, there's, there's a lot of tough times in the job. I I loved the job. Uh, it was uh, it was the, one of the greatest things I ever did in my life. But but and there were some tough times, but there were some fantastic times. And th- this one this one is fantastic. I I went to Stoke City for the famous. Um, FA Cup tie, I think that was from Cara scored uh, the yeah. cracking goal. And so we arrive at uh, Stoke City's boardroom, and I've got my youngest lad there, and I think Barry Horn's there, and um, a couple of uh, uh, Alan Watkin, I think, was there. And it's a it's a proper boardroom, and there's a commissioner there to welcome you in a smart uniform, and he. He said, are you Mr. Bircham, the uh, chief executive? I said, I am. He said, I'd normally sit you with Mr. Coates, the chairman, he said, but uh, he's got some business guests with him today and that would be a boring conversation. He said, would you mind sitting with Mr. Gordon Banks? So would I mind sitting with Gordon Banks? You know? <laughs> um, so that was, that was just fantastic. So I uh, I'm trying to nudge my lad and give him the info, and you know, I said, "This is, this is the greatest goalkeeper that ever lived. This is the guy that saved the header from Pele. This is a, this is a World Cup winner." Um, and Gordon, of course, you're nervous because you're you're speaking to a legend, but I very soon relaxed and and had a good conversation with uh, with Gordon Banks, um, and I couldn't wait to tell him this. And, you know, it's a daft little story, but he really found it quite amusing. Uh, I said, Gordon, of all the accolades and all the things you've achieved in life, there's something you, something you don't know about. There's an award. There's, 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 there's a, something you don't know about. Uh, a great honour that's been bestowed upon you. And he said, what is it? I said, well, at the Hillhead Primary School in Kilmarnock, when you rushed out at dinner time, at lunch time to uh, to play football because you know how it was. You got to school early. You played played before school. You played at play time. You played at lunch time. You played after school. Um, I said we'd rush out. Um, in fact, sometimes we'd roast potatoes uh, in our pockets when so, so desperate to get out and play, play football. We would eat as fast as we can and get out there. And I said so. We picked teams as every good schoolboy did, and. Um, you could be any play. You could you could never be an Englishman, never ever. So you could be Pelly, you could be Jorginho, you could be Dalglish. Dare I say, could you be Joe Jordan? That's probably a mistake on this pod- podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll leave that one. Um, Jimmy Johnson and the Celtic. Um, so you picked your players. You were never allowed to be an Englishman. I said, but you're allowed to be Gordon Banks. And he said, so why would that be then? Well, I said, I've no idea. I've no idea, Gordon, but maybe because Scotland had shit goalkeepers, I don't know, but um, you're allowed to be Gordon Banks. And he was just the slightest bit touched by that. <laughs> what a great honour to be bestowed on him, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So our final fun fact question is, which room of the house is best to put a war chest in? <laughs> <laughs> You can blame Andy for that one. <laughs> I love that. 
Do you know, I think I made two. I, I was, in my time in the job, um, there was quite a bit of interest because the fan zone model was, was a fairly new thing. So I would speak to, uh, obviously, the Daily Post and the Evening Leader and Radio Wales and sometimes the national media um, fairly, fairly regularly. And, and I tried to be open and as honest as I possibly could be. But the two comments I made that seemed to stick was uh, War Chest and um, um, when Danny Wright went to Forest Green, I think I said something like, he went to a pub team or a village team. So, so those two comments have haunted me. Um, and, you know, I can't even remember saying the war chest thing. I guess it must have been after was it after the FA Trophy I said that. Yeah, I think it, so. Around we that must, time, we yeah. must have had a bit of a windfall. I know I definitely said it because any time I'm at a bar in Wrexham, somebody will shout across, Don gets a pint out of the war chest. <laughs> so, Excellent. I know I said it. I don't know what context I, I said it. And I, I, we obviously come across some money and I said we'd put it, we'd put it in the war chest. Um, but it always reminds me of Sir Alex uh, uh, when he said he was going to knock the scousers off the perch. Um, and he said, I don't know, I can't even remember saying it. Um, he said, but it's kind of stuck with me. So so those two sound bites, uh, out of all the things I, I said over that over the over that time, <laughs> those those two have, have uh, haunted me really. <laughs> well, still, that sounds like it's uh, people remember it with uh, with some good humour, anyway. Um, yeah. But listen, let's let's move on to your your time at the club now. Um, obviously, you joined with the um, on a high with the club icon in charge. How did the partnership with Barry Horn come about? Um, well, the the club uh, the club had taken some advice um, in terms of how they should structure. Uh, the the business after fans' ownership. So as you're aware, there was a trust board and there was a football board. I was never on the trust board. I I, I wasn't involved in that side of things. And Barry and I were invited, I guess the best way to describe it is non-executives, if you like, on the football board. So for me, from a business perspective, and uh, Barry from uh, a football perspective. So that's that's how we got to know one another. Um, we mentioned the war chest, um, and you haven't got that good memories of it. Um, but I mean, did we actually spend more the next season? Because one of the things, you know, that we learned to, and when Andy Morell came on this podcast was that he said he didn't feel he was backed financially that summer. You know, what, what do you say to that? You know, the first thing I would say is I don't know if the great people are Wrexham are now bored 10 years down the line. We have a fantastic club. Um, we have two wonderful owners who are making fantastic progress. And I'm not sure that people are particularly interested in the proceedings of 10 years ago. Um, what I will say, and, and I don't think anybody's ever explained this uh, uh, on the podcast or anyone's had a, an opportunity. Let me just explain how, how we did the budget at the club, because I think that's quite important. Um, first of all, we had no means of raising any money. Um, there was no uh, white knight. There was no investors. There was no overdraft. Um, and we could not speculate as a football club. We had watched 
previous uh, owners and custodians take take the club to the the brink, and it would have been we just could not allow that to happen. We we had to run a tight ship and and work within our means. So that was never an option for us. Now people came to us and said, uh, I know a guy who's made a few bob in Australia who was originally from Wrexham and he's interested in getting involved at the club and we would say okay absolutely no problem with that we never ever discounted anybody uh, coming in to support the club in some shape or form obviously that would have been a decision for the trust board and not me but we welcomed it and it was never forthcoming so we had to absolutely always work within our means but always on the premise of giving the manager as much money as we possibly could. And the budgeting process was a fairly straightforward process that any, any business would follow. So we would look at the previous year or the previous two years and kind of Mark Williams would, would chart that and what income we had and what expenditure we had and what was at the bottom. And that's a fairly straightforward process. So we would estimate how many season tickets we would sell. So let's say 2,000, 1,800 in a bad year, maybe 2,200 in a good year, somewhere in that ballpark, if memory serves me right. And we'd multiply up that figure by the average season ticket price. Now, I know people think that's whatever, but actually when you put in the mix senior citizens and families and children, it's not as much as you, th you first think. The second, the second thing, of course, is is the second uh, big big issue is, is is ticket sales, and again, that's a fairly straightforward process. You estimate how many you'll get, so let's say two thousand, um, and you multiply that up, and again, you take into consideration um, adults and children and families and senior citizens and all the rest of it. And from memory, I think that was about ten and eleven quid less fat. And then you've got commercial income, uh, you've got hospitality, uh, you've got kit sales and merchandise, um, you've got a bit of money from the league, a bit of fundraising, and you get to your total. And that's the budget. And that's the amount we've got in, sorry, in income. You then put aside, as any responsible business would do, uh, all the costs associated with running the club. So non-football salaries, electricity, utilities, uh, rent, and all of those things. And a bit of contingency. And it would have been uh, irresponsible for any business not to put a bit of contingency to the side. That's what we did. The remainder went to the manager. And it was in our best interest and everybody's best interest to give that manager as much money as we possibly could in order for him to build a squad. Was it the best budget in the league? Probably not. Uh, was it top five, top six? I think so. Um, and that was that was the budget the manager got. Now, whether uh, Andy uh, or Kevin or Gary or any other manager thinks that's sufficient, well, that's 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 up to them. Um, that's that's the amount of money the football club had, and. Uh, the only caveat to that was um, we always said if circumstances get better, um, then there may be additional funds 
and if there are additional funds we can sit down and talk to you about the availability of those funds so that's how the budget was formed well don you say no one's interested you don't want to rake over the past but you've just given us a great insight there into you yep. know I, I i enjoyed that um i suppose my next question would be you know, you, you've given us an insight there into how tight things were and how sort of careful you were with the money. And most fans, I think, would say rightly so. Um, obviously, the, the the downside of your job in that in in this uh, regard is having to sort of give a manager the sack. Um, give us an insight first into logistically how does that kind of work and what discussions do you have with the board uh and and also how tough was it because you know andy morales is a club legend and um and of course uh, it, it wouldn't have been an easy thing to do well first of all we never sacked andy um of course he resigned didn't he apologies he yes resigned. he did um uh, and despite andy's viewpoint and i respect it first of all let me tell you about andy andy's a super lad yeah, uh, and there's no there's there's no problem with Andy. Andy was in one of one of our establishments the other week, uh, the My Squin. Uh, I met Andy at a recent golf tournament uh, where a where a warm handshake. Um, Andy is a proud man. He's a good man. He was a great footballer for a club, and I had a good working relationship with Andy. Uh, did we have our moments? Of course we did. Uh, that's that's life. Um, He's trying to get the best football team in the grass that he can, and I'm trying to run a sustainable business. Um, did I respect him 100%? Um, and I was disappointed, despite what Andy said, and I listened to Andy's podcast yesterday. Um, there was no plan to sack Andy. Um, genuinely, and that would never have been my decision anyway. That would have been a, a football board decision in consultation with, with the trust board. At the point that Andy resigned, um, I was as surprised as anybody. I can't remember the game. He came to me immediately after the game. He said, I'm thinking of resigning, or I am resigning. Uh, I said, Andy, you want to ever think about that, which is what we would all do. We touched base, I think, the next morning, um, and he said he'd made up his mind, and it was time for him to go. And I accepted that. Uh, I reported back to the board made sure they were all aware. Uh, Andy asked if he could speak to the players. And of course, that was never in doubt. Andy could do whatever he wanted to do in terms of his departure. Um, he went to Collier's. He addressed the players. And I separately addressed the players. That was challenging. Um, some very senior players there who respected Andy. Who'd, who'd been with him a long time, respected him as a player and as a manager and as a man. Uh, and I had to go in and face them. And there's some big characters uh, in that dressing room, but that was my responsibility to do that. How so did they I react? Um, well, uh, the, the, there wasn't any, from my memory, um, any significant rebellion. Um, Bish... Bish always had a question for me. Glenn Little always had a question for me. And Ashy always had a question for me. That was, and that's great because they're, they're three tough characters. Mm. Um, and uh, I dealt with that. Um, you know, I've been in business 20 odd years. Um, I've, 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 I've experienced dealing with people. Um, I dealt 
with the questions I took on the chin. Uh, facing <laughs> facing twenty odd footballers is uh, uh, it can be can be challenging, but I did that. Um, so I a departure, a man losing his job or a man resigning for his own reasons uh, is never never nice, never pretty. Um, but I I think. Um, despite what Andy felt about us kind of making making his decision for him, I disagree with that. But I think we handled his departure as 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 best we could, as best we could. And it's lovely to see him back at the race course. It's lovely to see him a, a smile on his face. And I know he loves coming back. And I've caught up with him a couple of times, and it's been it's been great to see him. That's fair enough. And I think. Um... As you say, the, the, any any kind of decision like that is never going to be totally clean cut, is it? And people are going to disagree. But um, you know, he's uh, he's clearly a, a club legend, and people understand both points of view. I think. Um, anyway, now seems like a good moment to pause quickly in the discussion, and uh, we do a thing on the podcast called the fearless in devotion moment, which is the moment that filled you with most passion. Since you, when you were involved in Wrexham, is there a moment? You know, a, a goal. Uh, a victory, uh, something that just sort of comes to mind when you think, oh yeah, that's the most sort of passionate I've ever felt. Oh, well, I think the LDV, uh, and that was even before I was involved with the club, but, you know, we're in such mm. a mess as a club. Poor Dennis had, there's times you go to Collier's Park and there'd be, there'd be no uh, power, no electricity, no hot water, you know. So um, for him to get a team there and to win... Uh, a, a league trophy was was significant. Obviously, the, F, the FA trophy um, was magical. I, I again another magical moment for all, all the difficult challenges and hard work you put in to seat to sit in seat one A, uh, effectively Her Majesty's seat uh, at, at Wembley and be on the pitch uh, was a moment that very few people get to do, and so. Um, so that was wonderful. I do have to say, um, the thing that touches me more than anything else um, is when a fan comes up to me in the street and shakes my hand and says thank you. That's special. Um, and you can't please all of the people all of the time. Um, but that's important. That's important. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that's important for fans to do as well because... Uh, as I was reminded when I was uh, researching for this podcast, you obviously gave up your time for free as chief executive, whereas it, you know it could have been very, very costly to the club, couldn't it as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on now slightly forward to the appointment of um, Kevin Wilkin. And I can remember at the time of this appointment thinking that it was sort of quite a smart move on the club's behalf because we'd never really gone down the route before of you know, the experienced non-league manager who I think he already had a couple of promotions under his belt in non-league. So how did how did that appointment come about? Well, we decided, and this caught the imagination of, of the media, we decided to go uh, down a completely democratic process. So if you want to apply for the job, apply. It was as simple as that. And I, I remember Radio 4 calling me, um, say can you come on the show in the morning i'm thinking wow is it is it that exciting that i have to go on radio four and it was nikki campbell of course a fellow scott made a bit of banter of uh 
uh, offline. And uh, so, you know, the media are always, always looking for a bit of, of an angle. So he said, so anybody can apply. So I said, yeah, anybody can apply. He said, what about the lad that's good on FIFA? I said, well, if he wants to apply, he can apply. Um, so it got a bit silly, but, but the premise was straightforward. Um, and that was, if you want to apply for the, the job, um, apply for the job. Um, and that's unique in football. And it was funny because I was taking calls from people. Uh, uh, it, uh, I, I'm so-and-so and I'm an agent for so-and-so. Right. So he'd like, he'd like to talk to you about the job. So uh, I sometimes have great fun in football just by pretending I was daft and naive. So I would say, um, well, yeah, get him to send any CV. Ah, no, no, no. My, my client doesn't do that kind of thing. I said, well, he won't be getting the job then. He just has to send in a CV. It's dead simple. Send in a CV. No, you, you don't really understand football. Um, my client would like to talk to you. So, of course, I used to just say, yeah, great. Get him to send in a CV. So, football, football, there's lots of stories in, uh, about, about that in football. It's a, it's, it's kind of strange, strange, strange world. It took me a wee while to get used to Anyway, the long and short of it was we got a mailbag that was just utterly incredible. And I remember myself and the board uh, sat in my office and started to work through this. It was all led by Spencer, of course, with his, his all his HR experience. And we went through this process of, of trying to find uh, what we were looking for. So, of course, we, we drew up. Um, a job profile kind of things that we wanted. Uh, obviously, we wanted a manager who ticked a lot of boxes in terms of community and experience and understanding of the league and so on and so forth. And I, I, I would love to give you some names. Obviously, I can't. Um, but you know, English internationals, Scottish internationals, Welsh internationals, Premiership players. Um, Applications from Italy, from France, um, from Spain, from Africa, from Australia, um, names, household names. And it was incredible. And we went through a process of kind of creating piles of, um, as you do in these situations, you know, absolutely in the frame, not so much in the frame. The 12 year old who's pretty good on FIFA obviously not in the frame, and and came up uh, with a shortlist. And I can't remember offhand how many we started with. I don't know if we went for 12 or... I can't remember. Um, but we came up with a shortlist, and and Kevin Wilkin uh, was, was in that shortlist. And we took that first 12 or whatever it was to interview, and Kevin Kevin came to that first interview. Yeah, he was um, someone who seemed to know, you know, what he wanted in terms of transfers. He seemed to have a clear idea of what he wanted to do with the club. Was, would you say that was his strength? I, I think he had so many strengths at that interview. He came across as a really humble, decent man. Um, he had a good track record at lower level. He seemed to have an eye for a player. He seemed committed to fans' ownership. He understood it. 
he seemed to tick all the boxes in terms of community. Um, he had done some good research on our club, and our fans, and our, what we're all about as a as a business. Um, and he we, we we liked what we saw. There was one or two other people in the frame, but he he came across uh, very very well indeed, very well indeed. And I think with a second round of interviews. Um, with a, a bigger group from the board and he came back uh, with, again, forgive me, I'm not sure the numbers, but maybe half a dozen for second interviews. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was, you know, that a lot happened between, you know, the summer, you know, when we had some decent signings and then, you know, fast forwarding to another FA Trophy final where we ultimately lost, but sort of, you know, obviously we don't want to go through the, the minutiae of every single managerial decision but what what was it that led you know so quickly between getting to that point where where it seemed like players had turned against him and him ultimately leaving what was it that sort of fast-tracked that decision for him to to move on um I don't know if we made the right decision um I sometimes reflect on that and I sometimes wonder if if of all the man well there's only three that I was involved in but Perhaps Kevin was one where a bit more time um, may have, uh, uh, maybe we could have been a wee bit more patient. Uh, that's my personal opinion. I don't know if the board would share that, that viewpoint. That surprises um, me. It really, really does. I mean, I, I liked Kevin, but I think it seems like um, the consensus from the players we've spoken with is that maybe he had lost the dressing room a little bit, but you, you think that bit of patience could have could have things could have turned around i don't know i don't know i'm just trying to give a balanced view i, I think it's fair to say that I, I think i'm right in saying that we lost six games between the semi-final and the final so it wasn't it wasn't about losing the final um in isolation um we weren't going through a good spell i'll be honest i i didn't get much and i was at collier's a fair bit i used to um I mean, trying to divide my time was a challenge, uh, doing doing all the administrative stuff and getting to Collier's to try and talk to the manager and just, just be around. But I used to get to Collier's, um, watch a wee bit of training and have a bite of lunch uh, with Joey and the players. Um, and I'll be honest with you, those players, and I have to give them full credit, whatever whatever they felt and whatever was going on there, and I, they, they never came to me. They never once came to me, and they deserve. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if they were fair with Kev. I don't know the answer to that, but I can categorically state that no player came in, ever came in and whispered in my ear. Um, so I'm not sure that there was much. It wasn't a case of this. There's this massive tide of hostility towards Kevin. You need to get rid of him. There really wasn't. I think it was more about. Um, where we were as a club and, and, and how we were performing. Again, um, a really, really decent man, a really good fellow. Do you know, of all the managers I worked with, the, all three of them, I liked them as people, I liked them as individuals. Kevin was a smashing fella. Um, I still regret Barry. Barry, uh, it was Barry that met with Kevin and um, advised him we're part and company. And I should have put a call into Kevin, and I regret that. I, I should have done. Um, 
and I never. And uh, it's, uh, I regret that. And I'm always hoping that I'll see him at the race course and I'll make amends for that because he was a, a top man. Yeah, he came across as such when um, you know we had him on the podcast. Really nice bloke. Um, so moving on then to to Gary Mills, that was um, I think almost a universally popular appointment among the fans. He was someone whose gates had sided absolutely played us off the park um, the season before. Was there was it the same process or was he headhunted? How did that happen? Yeah, it was a bit different this time because we set off in a democratic process. If memory serves me right. And then I got a call. Um, so the, my principles or our principles of a democratic process <laughs> went out the window a wee bit this time. And we got a call from Gary's agent to say that Gary would be interested. So I reported back to the board. Um, I said, I've taken this call. And I think there was general excitement about Gary potentially becoming the Wrexham manager. Um, we had a, a strategy um, of getting out that league. Um, in terms of a long-term footballing strategy, uh, I, th- I think what, what the goal was was to get out that league and then think about where we go from there in terms of a bigger plan. But, but the first stage was to get out that league. Um, and I think everybody felt that Gary could be the man that could take us out of that league with his track record um, in the North East and at York uh, and so on. He knew our league. He played attractive football. Um, and we felt he could be the man, the man to do that. Um, so uh, his agent called and made it clear to me that it was a decision for him between us and Tranmere at the time. I don't know if that's true. Um, uh, I know the chairman at Tranmere reasonably well, but I've never asked him the question. So whether that was uh, some leverage on his agent's part, I don't know. But the process went on for a lengthy period of time. Uh, The board sanctioned his appointment if we could get him and if the terms right and I was reporting back to the board on on that process and of course I don't need to tell you it's about salary it's about accommodation about bringing an assistant all the all the things that go with appointing a manager um and um I think it's I think it's important and I don't want to talk for anybody I think it's important I tell you that Barry wasn't keen on that appointment I think I think I'm right in saying that Everybody else in the board put their hand up and said, yeah, we'll go for it. And Barry, uh, Barry, with hindsight, I think was right. Uh, Barry had a, a vision to maybe bring in a younger, uh, more modern team uh, at that point. And I think we felt uh, that this was a, a, the right appointment at the right time to get us out of that league. Perhaps Barry was right. Do you think um, Barry had... Oh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Don. I was going to ask, um, do you think, because obviously now we've heard all the stories about, you know, maybe some of his more old-fashioned habits, Mr Mills, in terms of team preparation. Do you think, was that ever brought up? Did Barry bring that up? Was that something you guys were aware of? Yeah, well, um, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Gary said that we didn't do our due diligence on him. We did. Trust me, we did. Um, we knew what Gary was all about, but I didn't think he would be quite as um, quite the way uh, uh, he was. Um, uh, uh, he was he was a maverick. Um, anyway, getting back to his appointment, I remember we were moving house at the time, and I'm sitting in the lounge, and uh, people were moving furniture all around me, and the wife's going mad because I'm on this call to his agent, and. Uh, as I say, he's playing the Tranmere card. I think the fans were really excited by the prospect. I don't think the fans thought we would get him. Um, and and we got him. And I think there was great excitement uh, around the club. Sorry, get back to your point. Barry, no, Barry's not ever the type to say, told you so. Uh, that's not in Barry's makeup. Uh, he accepted our decision and was happy to work with Gary. Um, and the journey started with Gary. Yeah, it was quite, um, you know, quite sort of a, quite a fast start to things. I think people were really um, excited by that, that, those early season displays. Um, the, the second season perhaps was a bit more people unsure of. Um, some of the, the transfers in the, in the summer window raised a few eyebrows. Uh, what we what were your thoughts on? I guess that's that's second window he had. Yeah, um, there was times I didn't know what was going on. There was players coming and and players going, um, but what we tried to do at the board, uh, or certainly my perception of what we tried to do was get, give give the manager his budget. Um, uh, Gary had a track record. Gary had an eye for a player. Gary understood our league, and we gave him that freedom. So, so, so the point of contact for Gary would be mainly Barry, and sometimes myself, or, or sometimes both of us. And he would come to a board meeting every single month and explain, explain matters. But from my point of view, yeah, there was times I was thinking, well, not entirely sure uh, what what Gary's strategy is here. Um, but he was a maverick. Um, and the thing about Mavericks is, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do stuff like Brian Clough, then uh, uh, or Georgie Best or Charlie George or the great Mavericks of the game, uh, you get away with that if you're successful, and you don't get away with it if you're not successful. And sadly for Gary, his ways and his results um, didn't quite match. And um, and there we go. Yeah, well, when he when he left, I think it was not long after that <clears throat> you stepped down. Was that something that had been in the works for a while? No, not at all. Um, uh, it weren't directly connected whatsoever. Um, I, I, although in any in any change of circumstances, I think you reflect. But did I resign because we had parted companies with another manager? Not at all. They weren't they weren't connected. Um, I simply, um, I left the corporate world 20 odd years ago because I wanted to work for myself and I didn't need the constraints of uh, politics and, and that kind of thing. And I just reflected after that period and thought, okay, so I've been there. Um, I've had the time of my life. Um, I haven't brought the success that I wanted to. We haven't been promoted. We've had three managers. 
um, it was becoming a bit political and I don't enjoy that stuff. I'm not good at it and I don't want to be involved in it. So for me, it was an appropriate time to step aside and, and let other people do their thing. So was that in terms of things going on you know, behind the scenes? Was it perhaps getting a bit tense at you know, a board level? Was it, is that what you're referring to? Um, I think I think I had just I I'm in a fortunate position and I don't want to sound arrogant here, but I'm in a fortunate position in life where I do the things that I want to do and the things that make me happy in life. And I had a wonderful spell and um, I'm not a political animal. Um, I, I, I just just don't want to be involved in and in, in that kind of stuff. And. And equally, it was. I felt it was. It was probably time to just to move on, and 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 that's what I did. Don, you you talked earlier about you know that how sort of, sort of the proudest moments for you are when you know fans come up and thank you, um, you know, for for the work that you did. How how do you view your time at the club, sort of in its totality um does it make you proud that you were involved in that period of us being a fan zoned club very 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 proud uh i better say other than the birth of my children because just in case the wife's listening but um <laughs> it's appropriate i say that but uh you know a boy from a council estate in Kilmarnock that becomes chief executive of uh wrexham football club is of all my achievements in life, in business, uh, personal and everything else, uh, nothing gave me greater pride. Um, did we make mistakes? Yes, we did. Did I make mistakes? Yes, I did. I think it would be arrogant to say we, I didn't. Um, would I change things? Yes. Um, um, but in the main, I, I can say two things. I gave it 100%, like all the rest of the board, we didn't take any money. Uh, we did it for the love of the club and I uh, yes without any shadow of a doubt it's one of the great highlights of my life Don you've kind of touched on it there but what would you say there are some people of course who you're never going to persuade uh, that you know the the trust's sort of regime wasn't a total disaster um, which is obviously ludicrous, really. Um, but you know, what would you say to people um, who who do feel that way? Is that you know, is there something that you think they should know that they maybe don't already know about sort of the circumstances you were working under, or or about that that regime? Well, of course, I wasn't on the trust board. I was, uh, I, I I was just uh, for 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 one of a better term, a non-exec uh, football board member. So I I uh, I didn't have any involvement with the trust itself, other than reporting uh, uh, to the football board. The the football board directors who were also in the trust reported back uh, to the trust. Um, I guess uh, I I don't know. Uh, everybody would have to reflect on the, the the positives and the negatives of that period. To me. Um, there was some challenges uh, uh, in the whole process. Um, that's probably not surprising. Um, we didn't achieve success 
in terms of promotion, which was the ultimate objective. But when you think of the things we did, we stabilized that business. Think where we were as a business before then. And we were in the brink of extinction on two or three occasions. Um, we could have, have no club. So to come through that, to have balanced the books, to have ticked so many boxes commercially um, and otherwise community-wise um, and have created uh, a, a base for our new owners to take the whole project forward, I think uh, would have to be considered a success. Would, would it have been lovely to have combined that with promotion? Well, that would have been, that would have been the absolute goal. And you know, in the early days, we came very close. Yeah, very close indeed. Um, well, Don, as, as a fan, thank you. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to ask now that you're a fan as well, and you can kind of, I know you always were, but now you can separate uh, yourself a little bit from the business of it after you left. What's it like to not have to worry about contracts, managers, and you can just watch and enjoy the the, the, the show? No, it's wonderful. I, uh, I get on the Penny Ford Express, um, enter Exum, go for a couple of pints, go to the Mice Gwyn, uh, often struggle to get a ticket. <laughs> I used to have the keys to the castle. <laughs> no, 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 I'm struggling to get a ticket. Um, so, uh, no, it's a joy. Uh, cross across to the cold road stand, um, get a seat, watch the match, um, uh, tell the tell the wife the train's been cancelled, going back when it hasn't really been, and stay out for a bit longer. Um, I, and I, I do have great fun. We have a former player uh, most weeks at the Mysquin, as you know, so I tend to sit with them and have a pint. And, have a chat with them, so so that's 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 a great experience. But I'm I'm on the same journey as everybody else. It's a fantastic journey. Who would have thought? Who would have thought this could happen to us? Um, it's incredible, and to think we're going to have a cop. Um, we've got ambitions to get to the Premier League. We've got ten thousand people in the stadium. I was talking to somebody last night who was asking me. What, what, where, where, where could we end up? 12,000, 15,000, 18,000, 20,000? I don't know. But I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be a Wrexham fan, isn't it? And I think sometimes uh, in this relentless title race when we're all very nervous, it's easy to forget that and uh, and to not enjoy and to make sure that we do enjoy it. But um, you mentioned the Mice Gwyn, of course, part of the Fatball brand, which very kindly sponsors this podcast. Um, you know, it seems to be going from strength to strength. What, what Are there any other plans afoot to, to sort of expand? Well, we've been doing a, a lot of that. I leave... Uh, uh, my managing director um, and uh, shareholder Richard Watkin uh, the posh kebab man I'm thinking to myself Rich you're the managing director of a fairly chunky business now and you're standing outside the Mice Gwyn selling kebabs you know uh, I, I mean I know I'm never going to get rich in a shirt and tie uh, behind a desk with a laptop that's never going to happen but what the hell he's doing selling kebabs I'll never know but Hey, he keeps um, him grounded, Don. Keeps him grounded. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps telling me he's a man of the people. Um, but there you go. We'll never change him. Um, no, it's, I mean, my, my time is spent. Uh, I mean, our travel business is now about 130 million. So, um, so I'm in partnership with 
Damarine Hayes, and so I spend most of my time uh, dealing with that, uh, trying to mentor Rich Watkin and turn him turn into a, a proper chief exec managing director is a challenge. Uh, in terms of growth, sorry, getting back to your point. Um, no, I don't think so at the moment. We've got the two fat boars, we've got the steak restaurant, um, um, we've got the cocktail bar, we've got Hill Street Social. Um, we've got fatborn mould and we've got rhythm that's been uh, kind of dormant for a wee while because we don't have a chef. So we'll get that one back up and running. And then once we get uh, that kind of going again, we'll have a think. But well, certainly I think we've got, got plenty going on in Wrexham, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, last question now before um, we go into a quick fire round. I mean, you have some insight into what it's like to be a business to try and sponsor Wrexham now, I guess, whereas I'm going to say, try and word this kindly, whereas sometimes it, maybe it would have felt like a, a charitable thing to do in, in the sort of worst days. Now <laughs> they're the hottest property, not just in town, but in, in the country, possibly around the world, it must be really difficult for businesses to, to sponsor the club now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, we, have, we of course had the Hayes. We, we've been we've been involved with a football club for for twenty odd years. So f- front shirt sponsors under the Just Go brand, uh, the Hayes Travel Stand. Uh, we had a box. So we've we've and and the Fat Boar's been involved. So we've we've invested a lot of money in the club uh, over the years. But like like so many companies, Ivor Williams, uh, ourselves, Peter Gwynn, we stepped aside. We accepted that if the club could uh, multiply it by 10 times, obviously they brought in Expedia, um, which uh, was another travel group. So uh, that was probably the end of the relationship with, with Hayes Travel. I've never met anyone from the club at all. Um, uh, when they took over, I spoke to Jeff Scott and I said, listen, bring bring commercial manager or Fleur down and we'll have... A coffee or some lunch, and we'll we'll talk about uh, if there are, if there are still opportunities. But um, but I haven't I've still to meet anyone from the club. Um, but as I say, uh, if they can bring in TikTok and Expedia and the likes, uh, and multiply their commercial income significantly, then as a fan, uh, I understand that entirely. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's it's very different times, isn't it? <laughs> very different times for the club. Um, so we move on finally to our quickfire round. So various set of questions. This can be about you know players you've seen during your time as CEO or as a fan or anything from that uh, from that period. So we'll start off. Who is the most skillful player that you've seen in your time, Wrexham? Uh, Dominic Voss was a skillful lad, wasn't he? Um, Definitely, yeah. Uh, Carlos, Carlos Edwards, super guy, super player. Darren was clever, wasn't he? Darren Ferguson could always pick out a pass. I always felt Darren was playing a league, two leagues below himself. Um, yeah, he, he enjoyed it. He liked being part of what, what we were about, and he was he was the main man. But yeah, Darren always had an eye for a pass. Okay, so who was the worst dressed? What, a board or a, or a player? 
it, it could be anyone actually you know if, if you if anyone immediately jumps to mind in terms of in terms of that should I go with Spencer where he's Polinex and white socks <laughs> <laughs> well we, we might have alluded to the fact that he looked like a bit like a Bond villain on uh, when he was on uh, Welcome to Wrexham so yeah that's, that's not a bad shout to be fair <laughs> well I think the man himself would say that he's well dressed wouldn't he Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Bond, Bond villain. Yeah, I get that one, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've had um, some some regular ones come up for this. So we'll see where this goes. So, biggest moaner? Uh, so, every time you ask me a question, I come up with two answers or three answers, don't I? Um, it's all right. Uh, uh, either Brett, Omroyd, or Neil Ashton. Yeah, we've, we've, Brett, I think Brett we've had... Moaned a bit, I think. We've never had, had Brett, both. I don't think, have we? Have we had Brett as the biggest moaner? Oh, I mean, he's definitely turned the air blue on the podcast. But actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if he, I'm not sure if he has come up. Um, you know, Ashton's come up a lot, Neil Ashton, but yeah, I don't know if we've had Brett. What sort of moans would he have? Would it be about cups of tea and things like that? <laughs> well, Ashley was uh, they're two different characters. Ashley was a, a moaner on the park, wasn't he? Uh, um, uh, Brett just moaned about everything. He just had that kind of money kind of face you know uh, I remember uh, we had Spencer's wife across at the training ground to teach them the Welsh National Anthem um, my god he wasn't happy about that uh, <laughs> uh, he, just, he just was determined he was not, not going to do it um, I have to say I always enjoyed my conversations with Brett uh, when I went over to the training ground um, talking about his his career and uh, some of the past managers. They always had a good story to tell. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a moan, Brett. Yeah, I think I was actually there for that time. They um, learnt the anthem as a as a reporter reporting on it back then. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I remember that. Well, yeah. So who would you say was the most underrated player that we've had? Yeah, I don't know if this fits the bill. I'm going to say Mark Carrington. And I say that because... I so much time for, for Mark as a man and as a professional, he was fantastic. And it just always was a shame to me that each manager, because he was such a utility player, they kind of kind of used him to fill the gaps. Um, and, and good old Mark um, was just such a, a good guy, but he had a lovely touch, a great, great player. And I always felt maybe if he just... Uh, decided on a position or a manager had decided on a position for him it may have given him a longer run uh, than he got but but I, I rated him very highly yeah I can see that um, I mean I saw some of his displays for Kidderminster after he left and he played really well in a in a sort of permanent midfield role so yeah I definitely can see that okay so lastly we've heard about you having uh, Darren Ferguson in a headlock but who's the player that you'd least like to fight Well, the obvious, the obvious one would be would be uh, Kreitz, wouldn't it? Um, I wouldn't like fight Kreitz, um, but probably Jay. Probably we Jay Harris, you know, what a man. Um, in fact, I, I, I kept I, I kept in touch with Jay because he used to badger me to to sponsor his um, various uh, things he had going on Talksteth, so. Uh, I used to catch up with Jay at Tranmere or, uh, and he would uh, back at the race course, he'd come back a couple of times and he 
was always after me to sponsor uh, his team. And, and it's a funny story because I used to say to Jay, um, Jay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sponsor your your team if you can get your lads to stop robbing my travel agency in Allerton Road. Um <laughs> Because the cops, the cops used to tell us we were done two or three times in Allerton, and the cops were saying, "Yeah, they're coming down for Toxton." So I used to say to Jay, "There's the deal, Jay. So if you if you get the lads to back off, robbing my my travel agency in Allerton Road in Liverpool, I'll I'll sponsor you." But yeah, Jay Jay was a great lad, great warrior, um, uh, great professional, and um, uh, yeah, a super chap. Yeah, definitely. I think he's um, still a firm fan favourite. Um, so, yeah, I think that covers off pretty much everything I wanted to talk to you about. But thank you very much, Don, for coming on the podcast, sparing your time. And also, you know, as, as Reese said, for everything you did in your time at the football club as well. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much, Don. Now, just because you mentioned him earlier, let's talk about Ollie Palmer. Is there a problem there, Tim? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's quite funny when people say, "Oh, ever since he's launched his clothing line, his head's gone. He's 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 not performing. Oh, that's to, not he's got absolutely nothing yeah. to do with it. If anything, he's earning extra cash. He should be buzzing off it." So, I don't buy that for for one second. Um, he may be playing with an injury. We don't know, and I can't imagine Parker would come out and say, "Yes, he's playing with an injury," because he might get targeted more, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, maybe he's playing with an injury. Lest we forget, he won us a penalty versus Woking. But he was a handful, apparently, yesterday down at Aldershot. So the, the Mullin-Palmer thing is going to be difficult to break. However, however, when Dolby does play, Dolby's like, it's, it's like he's, he's arrived at Wrexham in two sort of separate acts. His first act, if you like, to go all Shakespearean, um, he wasn't great when he, when, he, when he was coming on. I didn't think he was that impactive. It looked like he was a bit leggy and you know sort of Bambi on ice kind of play and I wasn't really sure what we got from South End but again it's taken a bit of time Sidney's only had you know a distinct limited <coughs> amount of game time in the last maybe three or four months he's really really come good I think when he's introduced he's he does what's asked of him which is to be a handful be a pain in the ass if you can get a goal great and he's done that he's got and he's, he's only got five but yeah you know, that, if you give, given the amount of time he's played, it's still pretty decent. He will look more frustrated. Um, does he deserve a start? Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. I think sometimes you have to you have to freshen it. And it'll be interesting to see how similar him and Palmer are, um, you know, playing from the start. I know he had a, was it a rare start, wasn't it, against Oldham that time in the Cup? Few and far between his start. Yeah. I just think... I think why not? But by the same token, you know, a a 65-75% um with it stroke fit Ollie Palmer is still better than most most strikers in this division. So you have to weigh that up accordingly and go, well, yeah. I know there's there's a long uh, a sort of call for another striker to come in behind the scenes, but as it stands, providing they you know both stay fit, I don't think that's that clamour is necessary. I think Defence is where we're needed, and there there is talk of, of a midfielder rumoured 
from South End as well. I forget his name off the top of my head. This is how unprofessional we are today. <laughs> Miley. Yes. Miley. The, 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 Miley the, Cyrus. Yeah, Miley Cyrus from Jersey. Um, but yeah, I mean, there might be legs in that. Um, I know he played the other day, but South End are very broke and they need the cash to survive. So yeah, watch this space on that one. But yeah, I. I I don't. I think Palmer will, will play again against Scunthorpe. You know, they, they'll they'll be buzzing off a, off a, a good good win. They've had a lot of new players come in and freshen their side up, which they've needed because they've been abject for years. Was it two relegations in three seasons? And they're trying to avoid another one. So, yeah. got to be on our guard against that. I think. But an interesting three home games awaits. That's the big point. Is three key home games now. Um, yeah. Really- and- Going back to our original point, I would probably slot Daldi in for one of those games just to give to give Ollie a rest, take him out of the firing line for for one would game. Play, I think Daldi's. Would you play him Tuesday then against the yeah. uh, sort of Scunthorpe team that that, despite their win, will still be sort of fairly low in confidence. You know, don't think I don't think I'm going to give give them false hope, but you look at where they are; they're really scrapping for the lives. But I think I think Daldi maybe. <laughs> Could start against them out of all of them, you know them. Yeah, that, that's the one I'd do. Yeah, that's the one I'd do. I, I think Dolby's had to adapt his game because he's a player who likes to to start games and get into a rhythm, and he's not had that rhythm. So he's had to come on in cameos. I think he's had to sort of learn how to how to make an impact in those cameos, and I think he is. He certainly is because he scored us the winner uh, on on Saturday. Um, I do think. I think it goes back to what we were buying and when we were buying it. So on one hand, Parkinson has to buy proven players to get us out of this league. But on the other hand, he has to have an eye on where we could be in a couple of seasons. And I think uh, Dolby is one of those players who can actually come in and grow with us as we hopefully go through the the leagues. So, you know, I I see potential there, a lot of potential. And and Sam needs to play to to really unlock that potential. But at the moment, we're in such a do-or-die battle, you have to go with your more experienced man. Saying that, as I said, I think I think, I think, think he'll slot in for one of these home games, and I'll probably think it's Tuesday's game. Right, I think that takes us quite nicely to predictions. How do you see Scunthorpe going? Uh, I'll take a conservative 2-0, just because they've had a, a raft of players, including a certain Jerry McDonough, who uh, obviously played for Wrexham. Yeah. Um, 2017, 2016, 17, I think it was. Bizarrely, he's still, he's only 25. (laughs) He's 25, right? And I think he's had 12, 12 clubs already, which is crazy. And he's had 12 paper rounds at at the age of 13, (laughs) if he's 25. It's insane. But I mean, you know, Scunthorpe, I've had a bit of a takeover. They've, they've, got various players and from various levels and sometimes it works sometimes you know they'll be in the shot window however dusty that window tends to be and you know they'll want to really stamp their mark on on a team that's really struggling so we have to be on our guard against that park is not stupid he'll know that there will be they will come out maybe all guns blazing temper that and then wear them down which is what Rex and tend to do when they grow into games so yeah i'm going to yeah. go for conservative two nil i'll go with it Dolby double. There you go. All right. What about Saturday? Saturday, Dorking. Mm. Um, yeah. 
three one. Three one. Yeah, I, I just think with, I think, with a revitalized Palmer coming back in and getting one of them. Yeah, why not? I, I just think we've we've had we if 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 there's been a week of wake up calls, then this is it. Like that yeah, cheap is something massive. Two massive wake up calls, two scares, <laughs> and got away with four points. Whichever way you look at that, right? That <clears> is still title winning form. I know not as County Blue um, barring it away at, you know, the other day and. <sighs> And they're good at what they do. They leave it late recently. And I was counting they sort of blow teams away, and, and that's that. It is what it is. They did it, you know, against Yeovil the other day. But it doesn't really matter, does it? If you're blowing teams away, three points, three points at the end of the day. So yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just think we've we've dodged a couple of bullets this week, and we've got away with it. And I think it's now time to uh, to buck up the ideas again and go right, lads. Need to sort it out the back be hard to beat again because we know we're going to always have a goal threat going forward but we need to learn to be hard to beat again and there's been a couple of chinks in the armour this week and, and other teams will look at that and go oh right they are human yeah. and they are, they're not invincible after all so we'll try and exploit that so we need to be on our guard a bit but I'm confident with six points going into the um, well yeah from, from these two games going into the Chesterfield game yeah, I agree. I think we've had the wake-up call we needed. I think we're going to have to go back to basics and keep things tight for the next two games because we need to tighten up that defence. So I, I can see it's winning both of the games, but I think they'll be by the odd goal. I think it might even be a one niller on Tuesday and maybe 2-0 on, on, on Saturday where he gets a bit more time on the training pitch. Um, and you know, as I said, we we just need to tighten up. And we've had we've had a bit of a rude awakening, but as you say, we've come away with four points here. So we just need to keep the pressure up. Right. Thanks for everything today. Um, I am going to drive to Lake Taupo. So uh, speak again. Enjoy. Bye -bye, drop, a, drop us a five star review, and we shall see you soon. Cheers. Take care.